Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Dr. Marianne Miller, all the way from San Diego, who has been in the mental health field for 26 years and has specialized in eating disorders for the last 11. Now Marianne was a full-time academic for 12 years and had a part-time eating disorder practice for much of that time until she left the university and went into private practice full-time in 2018. Dr. Marianne loves working with eating disorders as a therapist and a coach, and she takes a non-diet feminist approach that helps people of all genders live empowered and authentic lives. She embraces the health at every size model and is LGBTQIAA plus affirming. Dr. Marianne recently launched the Inevitable Binge Eating Recovery Online Program. It helps high-achieving professionals regain their mental and emotional energy by shifting their relationship with food to be fully present in their life. Now, Dr. Marianne was on the podcast around six months ago, talking all things binge eating. We talked a lot about regular eating, stabilizing blood sugar, all that good stuff about physiology. Today, we're going to go and do a deep dive into the psychology of binge eating, looking at things like self-compassion, mental restriction, all or nothing thinking, the inner critic, and more. Now, I know you all love Dr. Marianne's episodes. And this is going to be another one that is packed with so much value. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Marianne. Welcome back to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be back. Oh, well, I'm very happy to have you back because obviously you were on the podcast. I think it was probably about six months ago now, which I can't quite Mm -hmm. believe. I know. It went by so fast. Yeah, it's like, where's the summer gone? (laughs) I know. (laughs) <laughs> and what's it like in San Diego today? Like, do you have sort of like autumnal weather over there or, or not? <laughs> uh, a little bit, a little bit. The weather's just been brilliant the past few days. The temperature has been perfect, a slight breeze. It's been sunny with a few clouds and and then it'll probably get hot again later next week or this week and then it'll cool down a little bit so it's kind of weird until it hits like December and then it gets cooler but still it never gets like too cold it's rare for it to get too cold here and what's your like coldest usually like in the winter like how cold does it get where we are it never gets below freezing sure yeah yeah it never gets below freezing so it's above freezing I don't know, Celsius Fahrenheit conversion, but sometimes at night we'll get down to the 40s, but it will never go below freezing where we are. Up up in the mountains it will, but not where we are. Yeah, sure. Well, I had to, of course, being a a true Brit, I had to ask you about the weather. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the weather is really good where I live. So (laughs) when I moved here, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how being just like being outside in good weather changes your mood. I knew that like logically, but I'd never really experienced it until I moved here. It's just amazing. You just go outside and you're like, ah, yay, happy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very fortunate to live here, really. 
Yeah, I'm totally with you though. Like when the sun is shining, it does just help so much with mood, doesn't it? And it really does. Yeah, being able to get outside. Anyway, Marianne, for people that don't know you, um, could you introduce yourself, please? Yes. So I'm an eating disorder therapist and binge eating coach. And I have my own therapy private practice where I see people of all types of eating disorders from binge eating disorder to anorexia, bulimia, ARFID, all types from ages 13 and up. And that's in the state of California. I work with people in the state of California. And then outside the state of California, I'm a binge eating coach and I have a membership program that people can sign up for called Dr. Marianne Land's Binge Eating Recovery Membership Program. And it's a self-paced virtual program that people can go through with 12 lessons and they have access to a lot of other materials. But it's basically all the work that I do as when I treat binge eating distilled down into this sequence. And so I work with people all over the world. It's really a joy. I love helping people so much and people have had a lot of success in it. I sound a little salesy, but I really am proud (laughs) of this program and how it helps people. And I'm also a relatively new podcaster. I just started a podcast on August 1st called Dr. Mary Ann Land, an eating disorder recovery podcast. And I had you, Harriet, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I think you were my first guest. <laughs> I know. I it was awesome. <laughs> it was. We got so many downloads. So yeah. And I'm going to have you back later. Probably it'll come out early in 2024. And It's just been a lot of fun. We talk about all things eating disorders related from self-compassion, binge eating, from men and muscularity issues. I just recorded one with George Mycock yesterday with people's lived experience in recovery from polycystic ovarian syndrome to LGBTQIA individuals and eating disorders. So it's just a wide variety of things, anything that has to do with eating disorders. And it's a true like calling, I guess. It's to really help people populate this Dr. Marianne land <laughs> and have this space that feels like safe, that's free from diet culture, that's knowledgeable, it's based in research, that kind of thing that is all about recovery. So That's me in a very large nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I think it's brilliant for people to know about your Dr. Marianne Land binge eating recovery program because it's a very accessible way, isn't it, for a lot of people to get support and perhaps more affordable if you can't do like full on individual therapy. I love the way you call it Dr. Marianne Land. Like it sounds like you're going off to this land. Yes. (laughs) I know, I know. And it is affordable. It's $99 US dollars a month. So I don't know what the exchange rate is right now. I was going to look it up, but I forgot. But it's $99 US dollars a month. So it's very affordable, very accessible. And mm-hmm. it consists of videos and worksheets. And you get to be a part of an invisible exclusive Facebook group if you choose to be. And So, yeah, 
It's really awesome. And it is, yeah, I toyed around with a lot of different names for the podcast. I just wanted to be kind of silly and poignant at the same time. <laughs> like we want to create this ideal world where, you know, things like empathy rules and accessibility and love and tolerance and all that kind of thing. So mm, yeah, I think it's a really lovely idea, actually, because of I kind of feel like I'd like quite like to go to Dr. Marianne Land if I was struggling oh, with binge eating. <laughs> you have a permanent invite. <laughs> does it have unicorns there? Does it have unicorns and rainbows? And of course it has unicorns and rainbows. Yes, absolutely. Oh. Unicorns, rainbows, pots of gold at the end of the rainbow, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, all that good stuff. And are you enjoying doing your podcast, uh, Marianne? I am. I am. I honestly did not know what to expect. I mean, I spent several months preparing for it. And I was just like, okay, I'm doing this. And I just don't know what it's going to be like. But I've just got to know really interesting people and got to know their stories and been inspired myself. And also, I think it's helped me it improved me as a therapist as a coach because of all this cool information I'm getting from these experts and people in the field and then people with their own lived experience who are going through eating disorders or who used to go through eating disorders and are recovered now. And it's been really, been really cool. And I've gotten really good feedback from people. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, and they're fantastic. It's just wonderful to have a really good range of different people producing this free content, isn't it? Because I think it's just so valuable and different voices really kind of resonate with different people, don't they? So, mm, yeah, fantastic. I'm so, I'm very glad you are podcasting too. It's exciting. We are fellow podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) I joined the club. (laughs) You joined the club. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Maria, well, let's talk a bit about binge eating, you know, your favorite topic. So one thing I wanted to ask you about first, obviously, many people who are binge eating are often restricting between their binges, you know, not always. But one thing I find very sort of quite a common thing, I don't know if you find this as well, is that people will often think maybe that they're not restricting anymore because maybe they're not following like the really extreme diet that they were like five years ago or something, you know, so they perhaps shifted a bit, like they're not as restrictive as they once were at one stage. But I think I often find, I don't know if you find this as well, but people are often still have a lot of food rules and actually still are being quite restrictive. And I wondered like if you could talk a bit about some of the more kind of subtle ways restriction shows up and then like maintains that kind of binge eating. Yes, absolutely. And it can be very subtle and nuanced the way that restriction shows up. Sometimes it's the, oh, you know, I'm not really hungry at breakfast. It's all I can have is a cup of coffee, you know, my stomach doesn't agree with breakfast kind of thing. And they aren't overtly saying, I'm skipping breakfast to lose weight. But they're saying, oh, I just won't bother. Or I just don't feel like eating breakfast. And all I can handle is a cup of coffee. Same with kind of getting sucked into work. A lot of people with binge eating disorders are high performing people. And so they get hyper-focused on work 
they just get sucked in. And then all of a sudden, six hours have gone by and they haven't eaten anything. And they're like, oh, well, you know, this project was important and I'll just make it up at dinner. They don't realize that that can set them up and often will set them up for having a binge later on in the day. And then they feel guilty and ashamed. And then the next morning they wake up, they feel sick to their stomachs and guilty and ashamed. And they just have a cup of coffee for breakfast and which a cup of coffee is not breakfast. (laughs) Breakfast Mm -hmm. means food. (laughs) It means food. It doesn't mean a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee is a drink. So really getting them regulated in their eating, I think is very much important. I think skipping snacks is also a very subtle way of maybe not overtly restricting, but just saying, oh, you know, I'm just too busy. I can't bother. I'm not going to eat the snack or just sort of forgetting can be another way that people restrict. There's a couple of things actually that just really stood out for me there and that I've found as well with so many of the people that I work with is that like you're saying in a way like many people with binge eating are real high performers like I think you know often they're like really conscientious aren't they and like very sort of dedicated employees Mm -hmm. or business owners and Mm -hmm. like you're saying in a way almost sometimes get out of bed probably have that cup of coffee and they're like they're going full on pretty early aren't they yeah (laughs) and also then the thing as well about just kind of I guess you're really in sort of striving mode aren't you or maybe fight or flight even if you're under pressure you're working you got to hit the deadline People just aren't like allowing often, are they, that kind of space for kind of rest or having any time to connect with the body or even recognize hunger. Because often because of you're so in like fight, flight or striving and you're just like being productive, being productive, being productive, you're just not even like registering with your body, are you? You're almost a bit kind of disconnected from it. Right. There's actually a word for connecting with your body and it's called interoception. There's not much interoception going on. So interoceptive awareness is awareness of what's going on in your body. And so when people get hyper fixated on their work, that interoceptive awareness just goes away. And I ran into it when I was a professor. I was a professor for 12 years and we would talk about how we would be writing these academic journal articles and then look up and realized that we had to go to the bathroom or to the loo like four hours ago. (laughs) So we would just get so sucked into our work and the ability to hyper-focus can be very beneficial in work and running your own business or doing something like that. And actually are hijacking your ability to be more efficient and effective in what you do by not eating regularly. Plus, you could be setting yourself up for a binge. (laughs) Yeah, and so it's tricky, isn't it? Because I think in the sort of shorter term, it can feel kind of quite rewarding, can't it? And you like down that rabbit hole, you feel like you're kind of getting through the work. But like you're saying, in a way, I guess it's not very sustainable, is it? And also, it's probably going to kind of catch up with you later. It will. And people are astounded. They're like, I was so hungry. I don't understand why I was so hungry. And so, well, what did you eat earlier that day? And they're like, oh, you know, I had a little lunch and maybe some nuts, but that's it, you know, or something like that. And it's not that they're 
intentionally trying to restrict to lose weight. Although sometimes the desire to lose weight is like buried underneath there. You just have to kind of find it. (laughs) But honestly, they just get sucked into working. Like I work with several physicians and a lot of times they have these overnight on-call shifts. And that's a very difficult time to remember to eat when you're just working. And then if you have a little bit of break, you want to sleep. And you have to just be very intentional with these high-performing individuals to say you have to eat mechanically, which is eating regularly throughout the day or throughout the night if you have to do overnight shifts. And you will actually feel so much better. And then you won't set yourself up for a binge in the morning after you get off the shift. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're really encouraging people to sort of plan ahead, really be intentional, kind of plan in the schedule, like those self-care, those nutritional breaks, I guess, just to look after themselves. Yes, it really is a break. I remember when I first, in my own recovery, when I first started eating mechanically, I vividly remember I was like sitting at a table and I was eating either my lunch or a snack or I think it was lunch and I was eating it and I was just kind of instead of like eating while I'm working or while I'm watching something on YouTube or (laughs) something like that, I was just like, no, I'm just going to take some time and focus on nourishing myself. And it was this like amazing grounding experience where I was really connected to my body, where my interoceptive awareness increased while I was doing that. And it is incredibly helpful. And so often I tell people who, you know, high performing people who work, I say, if you're going to have lunch or have a snack, just step away, like go to a different chair, turn off your computer go to a different chair and just eat. And even if it's just for like 10 minutes, and they find that their brain is just so much clearer, and they can really focus a lot better before or after they've eaten that way. It's so beneficial. And it helps prevent the binge eating, because you've eaten regularly throughout the day. And so you're not in this glucose deficit when you get off work. Yeah, no, it or get off school or whatever, whatever you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Have you had a lifelong struggle with your weight and gone down the surgery route? Have you been caught in the diet cycle, losing and gaining the same weight repeatedly? And perhaps you pinned all of your hopes on bariatric surgery, but to only realize that head hunger, food noise and emotional eating have returned along with a fear of weight regain. You are not alone on the Gastric Mindset podcast. Safi shares real life stories from people who have had weight loss surgery and she interviews experts to help you understand the deep rooted psychological and behavioral aspects that make it achievable to find long term weight loss success. Safi is eight years post-op and a therapeutic practitioner who is passionate about making psychological support accessible to all. The Gastric Mindset podcast is out every Friday and can be found on all major podcast platforms.
No, it is like groundbreaking, isn't it? I think the good old regular eating. I just know for myself and my recovery, when I was like allowing myself to do regular eating, right? it was just such a relief actually not to just be right. so preoccupied with food or hungry yes. or just have energy and just have some ceremony back around eating rather oh, than like yeah that. eating at the cupboard door or on the run or you yes. know, it's just nice to stop. And like you're saying, even 10 minutes can make a big difference, can't it? Yes, I, I like that word ceremony around it's like kind of a ritual of eating. And it's, I mean, throughout the history of humanity, there's just been so many rituals around food and around eating. And so I think we have that kind of hardwired into ourselves. And so when I tell people to eat regularly throughout the day and do the mechanical eating, and I say, this is how often I want to eat, they first freak out. <laughs> <laughs> you what? And I'm like, okay, let's just start with breakfast. Okay. Okay. And then over time, they think, oh, I just don't want to think that much about food where I eat throughout the day. And I said, over time, you actually will think less about food, like Mm -hmm. you were saying, Harriet, because when you eat frequently throughout the day, it feeds and nourishes your brain, which helps calm down your anxiety, calm down the obsessive thinking, and really helps your nervous system calm down. And so you're less in that fight or flight mode, like you mentioned earlier in this podcast episode. It's kind of like a miracle cure. (laughs) And it sounds so easy, and it's not simple. So no, wait, reverse that. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. It's simple. <laughs> it's simple, but not easy. Yeah. <laughs> so Dr. Marianne, could you tell us a bit as well about mental restriction? So I think this is like a bit of a confusing concept yeah. for many people, isn't it? But again, it's like quite a big barrier, I think, for people in terms of being able to heal in their relationship with food. Yes. Yes. So there's two types of restrictions. So there's kind of the physiological restriction that you avoid eating certain foods or you're not eating as much food or you avoid eating during certain times of the day. So that's physiological restriction. And then there's psychological restriction. Both involve avoiding eating during certain parts of the day or avoiding eating certain foods, having like fear foods that you don't eat, kind of things like that. With the psychological restriction, it's just this notion that I cannot eat this food ever. And so what it creates is a mental obsession about that food. You know, I talk about this in my membership program is it's like, if I were to ask you, Harriet, if I were to say, don't think about a pink elephant. Just don't think about a pink elephant. What are you thinking about? You know, I'm thinking of a pink elephant in Dr. Marianne land. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of pink elephants here. (laughs) Yes, the pink elephant metaphor, the pink elephant example is that it's just something about human psychology is if you tell people not to do something that they're going to do the opposite, especially if you tell them not to think about something. I think there was like an Austin Powers movie or something that came out and they said, don't look at the mole on the guy's face. Just don't look at it. And then Austin Powers comes in and he's like, 
he's just can't stop looking at the mole and he's like, moly, 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 moly. When people are say, well, I, I can't have a certain food like sweets and desserts, then all the thinking is like desserts, 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 desserts. Like, when can I have the desserts? No, I can't have desserts. No, that's not good. I'm a bad person if I have those desserts, but I want desserts. Oh, these desserts. Oh, all these Halloween desserts are coming out. I can't wait to have that. No, I can't have those. I don't want to be bad. I want to be good. I want to stay away from it. So it turns into this moral issue where if you eat the food, then you're like a bad person, which is just food that this this comes directly from diet culture and how the moralization of eating and how people are seen as good or bad with eating certain foods. And it's just all foods. It all boils down to glucose that fuels our brains and our bodies. Dr. Chris Fairburn out of Oxford, you know, has written a couple of good books on overcoming binge eating. He does cognitive behavioral therapy with binge eating. And I use several of his principles and strategies in my work. And he talks about how people need to make like a list of fear foods. I'm probably butchering this example, but I don't we actually like, know. We him, like the Dr. Marianne Land adapted version. This though. is the Dr. Marianne Land adapted version. Yes. <laughs> is that like, if you make a list of fear foods and you take your number one fear food, you take your list and go to the market, to the grocery store, and you buy that first thing. And then you go home and you have it. And then you go back to the market, the grocery store, and then you buy the number one fear food on your list and the number two thing on the list. And so the goal is eventually to have like all these fear foods in your home. So you move from this sense of scarcity, which is a huge part of psychological deprivation is you have this sense of scarcity when it comes to food and specific foods, and you move to a sense of abundance. Let me give you an example. So I had a client once several years ago, and I'm changing the details about this client, <laughs> is that every afternoon she would go to, do you have, you have 7-Elevens in the UK? I think we have a few. They're not like a mainstream thing, but yeah. Yeah. Sure we so do have a few like in a London or something. Convenience <laughs> yeah. store or whatever. She would go to like a convenience store, 7-Eleven, and she would get snacks in the afternoon and she would eat them. And then she would binge on them and she would feel ashamed and feel awful and then restrict the rest of the day. So there was restriction before and after this afternoon binge. What we did is we took those foods, like some of chips or crisps, as you all call them, and said, okay, so let's go ahead and add plan on you getting these crisps and having it and maybe having it along with something else just for so you'll feel more satiated. So you have some crisps and like some string cheese and an apple or something like that. And then we built it up. So we said, okay, let's have the crisps in the afternoon and then kind of have buy some and then have like a stash at work where you know that you're always going to have these little packets of crisps and chips. 
I'm trying to like focus on both audiences of US and UK. <laughs> what do Australians call them though, Dr. Marianne? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. I don't know. Or Canadians. I can't cover everyone. <laughs> I'll just call them crisps. And so eventually we built up like a drawer of crisps in her work. That went well, that went well. And after a while, she's like, I'm just kind of getting tired of these crisps. <laughs> and I kind of like want a better quality. And I said, okay, let's maybe go to a specialty store and buy like a better gourmet crisps. And so she bought some gourmet crisps and enjoyed them for a while. And then eventually she's like, you know, I have this at work all the time. I can get, I can bring them home. And so she had them at home. And then after a while, she, you know, would have a bag. She always had a bag of these gourmet crisps, but then she would like forget about it and eat it for a little while and then stop. And it just became part of her normal routine is to have these crisps in her home. And so we went for her eating like lower quality crisps <laughs> guiltily and with a lot of shame around it and binging on them to where these beautiful gourmet crisps that she would have occasionally, not because she was restricting, but because she knew that they were always there. And so that is just so very important because you want to make sure that people have this sense of abundance, that the food is there. And you can't get away from that scarcity and abundance concept. And that's why for binge eating recovery, you have to move toward abundance. It's vitally important. Mm. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? I think as human beings, I'm just thinking back to the pandemic and like the loo roll situation. I don't know if it was the same um, in the US, but yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Human beings, we do not like scarcity, do we? Like we no. have like a real loo roll shortage because of yep. people were scared. <laughs> but it's so Absolutely. similar with food, isn't it? We don't like to feel that sort of scarcity of anything, really. And I'm thinking of like clients of mine as well who perhaps just had a shortage of food as a child as well, and then feel quite a compulsion sometimes yep. to store lots of things in their homes as well because they need that security because they're so sort of scared of like being hungry or not having that food as that kind of safe thing there. Yes, yeah, binge eating can come out of that and then people feel like they lose control and then they feel like guilty and ashamed when it's not their fault at all. We have to remember that binge eating disorder is biologically based. And people have in twin studies for eating disorders and identical twin studies, they found that up to 82%, the second twin had an eating disorder if the first twin had an eating disorder. And so people have the biological predisposition to have it. And then if they grow up in this sense of scarcity, and the scarcity can come from like economic, socioeconomic scarcity, and just the food wasn't available. And it can come from growing up in diet culture, where you had just diet foods in the house and no regular foods. That's how it was for me. I grew up in a very diet culture focused family. And so when I would go over to my friend's house and I'd be like, you have like cookies and biscuits and you have crisps and all of these. You mean you're not like eating them all the time? <laughs> because you have them. They're like, no, yeah, we always have them. 
So you really have to almost deprogram yourself and tell yourself cognitively to tell yourself, it's okay. Like the food is always going to be here. I have access to this food. I can have it here. And remind yourself that you're moving toward this abundance mentality. And it makes a huge difference because abundance is such a positive word. And it's a positive concept. And when you just say abundance, it's like the brain goes, ah, you know, okay, abundance. All right, we're good. I just can't emphasize enough the importance of building to that point. But the book by Dr. Chris Fairburn, Overcoming Binge Eating is really good. So if people want to read that, I recommend it. And the process takes time, doesn't it? I think it's a really important yeah. thing yeah, to emphasize. Because I think sometimes people, I think, dip their toe in the sort of abundant pathway and it just feels yeah. too much too soon. It's overwhelming. And then they retreat very quickly back yep. to the sort of scarcity place. And you have yep. to kind of build those emotional abundant muscles step by step, don't you? Really, one yes. step at a time. I really like how you said that. Build the abundance muscles. Yeah, because... It takes a while because like the example of my client with the crisps, I wasn't going to say, oh, just go buy five bags of crisps and have it at home. I wasn't going to say that. Um, I was going to say, let's just start small and let's just plan for you to eat some crisps in the afternoon and just add some cheese and like an apple and you can feel satiated and nourished. And let's just plan on eating that. and you know that you're going to have this little bag of crisps every afternoon. It's just going to happen. And that is a good place to start is that if you have a particular fear food, just plan on eating it every day at a certain time and then just pair it with a couple of things. You know, that's dietitians, nutritionists always talk about food pairing to help boost the nutritional content or the nutritional value what you're eating. And so if it's a biscuit or cookie, add some protein and some produce, protein, produce, and your treats, and it'll be very satiating. And that's one thing that you can do every day, but it helps to get some support and some guidance. And that's what my membership program does is gives you guidance and support and how to do that. And it helps lay the groundwork before you start doing that as well. But kind of have in your mind that that is a goal. I know it feels scary, but you can do it. And but support really, really helps, whether it's my membership program, whether it's finding a therapist or going to a support group. Support really helps you get through it because it's really untangling a lot of messages and concepts around food and eating and ideas about fear foods and restriction and stuff that it takes a while to unpack. Yeah, and it really does, doesn't it? Because I think so many of our thoughts and our beliefs are quite unconscious, aren't they? And we may have never sort of questioned them before or started to sort of untangle them or make sense of them. So that extra support can really just help you to have that deeper insight and understanding, can't it? Of yourself too, and to have some structure as well, instead of just kind of free floating, it just is very, very helpful. So to have that structure and have like a pathway, because my program has 12 lessons, as I mentioned, and it goes through different retooling segments where we're 
kind of giving you coping skills and teaching you about diet culture and mechanical eating and all those things, changing your viewpoints and then regrounding is using like mindfulness exercises, helping manage emotions, those kind of thing, and rescripting, kind of changing your narrative and your relationship with food, changing your relationship with your body, changing your relationship with others, like boundaries you might set to make it more comprehensive and thorough. So because you want changes that will stay, like you said earlier, Harriet, where you're just dipping your toe in and then like, ah, this is too much. And then you take it out really quickly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Marianne as well, if people want to sign up for your program, can you just give like the contact details for that? Because I'm sure there'll be some people listening that'll be interested. So if you just do Dr. Marianne Miller, Dot com And my first name is spelled the French way. It's M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. So drmariannemiller.com. And if you just look up the programs and it's Dr. Marianne Land's binge eating recovery membership program. And I also do one-on-one coaching, which is a little higher price point. And if people want that, in addition to going through the materials of the Dr. Marianne Lambs membership program. So, and if they want to talk to me about it before signing up, you just go to my website and click on the little buttons that say, sign me up for an initial free 15-minute phone consultation. I'm happy to talk to you about it before you sign up, just if you have any questions and want to make sure it's the best fit for you. Yeah, Fantastic. Well, Marianne, I shall make sure that the info is all in the show notes. Yes. Yeah, and I'm very conscious, actually. I think you'll just have to come back for another episode at some point because I think there's lots more to talk about. (laughs) I could talk about this for days. So, yes, absolutely. I would love that. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's been lovely to Um, connect with you and have a great rest of your day. I look forward to connecting again soon with you. Oh, thank you. It's been an honor to be on the podcast and I can't wait to connect with you soon. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did and do go and check out all of Dr. Marianne's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already on Instagram, do seek me out at the eating disorder therapist underscore and you might be interested in my online 10 steps to intuitive eating course, which currently has 50% off. Go to the link in the show notes for more info. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm